at the heart of coaching is the skill of listening. And I say the skill because to your point, it is something that we have lost in so many aspects of our society. Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, formerly known as Improv is No Joke, where it's all about believing that strong communication skills are the best way in delivering your technical accounting knowledge and growing your business. An effective way of building stronger communication skills is by embracing the principles of applied improvisation. Your host is Peter Margarita, CPA, a.k.a. The Accidental Accountant, and he will interview financial professionals and business leaders to find their secret in building stronger relationships with their clients, customers, associates, and peers, all the while growing their businesses. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode three, and my guest today is Eddie Turner, and I tell you what, he has a very impressive bio. He is a C-suite network advisor, international certified coach, a certified trainer, a professional speaker, president for the Association for Talent Development's Houston chapter, an ambassador coach for the National Speakers Association. He's an alumnus of Northwestern University and the John F. Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University. And finally, an adaptive leadership practitioner and part of the Adaptive Leadership Network. Now, with that said, I'm going to let Eddie tell you more about his business from a video that he has on his website at www.eddieturnerllc.com. Hello, I'm Eddie Turner, and I am a change agent. I help organizations and individuals lead change, and I do that in three primary areas. The first area is through the use of the power of the spoken word. And I do that through professional speaking, as I did here in the beautiful city of Taipei, Taiwan, just yesterday. Another area is through executive coaching. Through executive coaching, I work with individual leaders to help them accelerate their performance and reach their desired level of change in their life and in their careers. Finally, I help organizations through the power of facilitation. Through facilitation, I work with organizations either virtually or face-to-face around the globe to work with executive planning, to do strategic workshops. I help individuals get the competitive advantage through servicing the best ideas in their organization. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Eddie Turner. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, I am so honored to have Eddie Turner on my podcast today. Uh, Eddie and I, this is the first time we've actually met. We have a mutual friend, Bob Dean, who's been sharing information uh, to me about Eddie and vice versa. And first and foremost, Eddie, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to uh, be on my podcast. Well, Peter, thank you for having me here on your podcast. What a pleasure to be with you. Oh, it's a pleasure being with you. And may I say, you have a radio voice. (laughs) You're awfully kind. Thank you, Peter. 
I've, I've been told that I have a radio face versus a radio voice, but that's a whole different thing. Not at all. You are doing great work. I enjoy listening to your podcast, tuning in, and uh, just hearing your perspective and uh, to be included now among the long list of fantastic guests that you, you have had is quite a privilege. Uh, thank you so very much. And I'm looking forward to our conversation because we speak the same language in a lot of ways, just in a different, we come at from a different angle. So let's start by, if, if you can give the audience a little bit about your background, who is Eddie Turner and what do you do? I work with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact. And I do that primarily in three ways. Number one, I'd say it's through executive or leadership coaching. And I do that primarily one-on-one. But then I do larger groups where I use the power of facilitation to help groups with issue resolution, process mapping, strategy planning, and many other uh, needs that that happen in corporations. So facilitation. Also, I don't do training. I do facilitation in the sense that uh, when it comes to learning delivery, it's a not a monologue, but a dialogue with my learners. And finally, I give professional speeches or keynotes. I like that. I, I, I don't do a monologue. I do a dialogue. And, and I, I love that concept because I'm a firm believer that for whatever audience you're in front of, whether it's one-on-one or a thousand, to, to provide that conversation experience is key in getting your message across. Absolutely, especially in the this, in this space of learning. But I think even more so what speakers are finding is no longer do audiences show up to listen to the sage on the stage. They show up to have a conversation, to have a dialogue, even with a keynote speaker. Exactly. And, and I think that's driven some by technology, but I think that's driven for the thirst of knowledge. And a lot of times... Uh, if we're not engaging and create a conversation on the, on the platform, whatever that platform may be, we begin to lose our audience. They begin to tune us out. And, and as I like to say, they, they begin the conference prayer, which is, <laughs> which is they bow their heads and look at their smartphones. <laughs> well, Peter, you're absolutely right. It is, a, it is driven by the combination of both technology and the abundance of knowledge, which technology has given everyone the access to. So when they show up, they already have a, uh, access to Google. They have access to online learning. And as you mentioned, they have their smartphone in their hand. <laughs> so they are not showing up necessarily to hear new things from us. They want to be, as you say in your bio, which I love, edutained. <laughs> so yeah, Tell me if you come up with something new, share that with me. But now entertain me in the delivery. But more importantly, I am a professional who has experience and has knowledge of my own. Involve me, include me as a part of this delivery. And in doing so, we must always know our audience. We must always have them in mind throughout the process of developing anything because if I want to make that connection, I I need to speak that their language. I need to put things in context that they can understand, not what I have, but what they need. Absolutely. So you help leaders. You help leaders become more effective, more, more, and and you do this through coaching and, and, and through facilitation and, and, since we both know Bob Dean and Bob is a big collaborator I, and I heard you on another podcast talk about facilitated collaboration. Could you, could you define that? 
<laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. So uh, Bob Dean is, in fact, uh, someone who I owe a great debt of gratitude to. He's one of my mentors. He's someone I met uh, when I decided to go back and finish my undergraduate degree as an adult. He is one of the first people I met who came to speak to our class, is, is how we met. And I was really just impressed with what he had to say. And I followed up with a thank you note to him, and he followed up by inviting me to coffee. And I, I thought, wow, that's awfully nice of him. That coffee invitation has turned into, I think now, a 12-year friendship. And we've been business partners, we've been colleagues, but we've also been collaborators. And so this idea of facilitated collaboration is the title of uh, the book that I have yet to finish, <laughs> but forthcoming. <laughs> but it, it turned into a book because uh, we, we talked about the idea that uh, he and I are from two different spectrums. There's a, there's a big difference in terms of who we are, our personal narratives, our professional narratives. And when you see Bob and I, we are probably the two least likely people you'd expect to see show up in a room, but we're the best of friends. We have a great relationship and our uniqueness has turned into some of the best work of both of our professional lives. And it was through that collaboration and facilitation was at the heart of it. And so it became something that we've deployed inside of organizations. And so we think that collaboration is a buzzword in business today. <laughs> Everyone talks about it. Right. But how do you do it? And we think that the secret sauce is that it should be facilitated. Facilitated collaboration is what accelerates performance and drives impact. So I, I, I 100% agree. I, I, love the, I love the concept of facilitated collaboration. I love co collaborating. But as I think about this and I think about leaders, I, I think one of the, 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 the barriers in collaboration is those unconscious biases that we have. How do you get leaders to recognize these biases and, and manage around them so they can collaborate? Interestingly, that's where the coach in me really becomes a benefit when working with leaders. Even if I'm not working with a leader specifically as their coach, the coach in me helps unearth those unconscious biases by challenging their thinking and creating a new consciousness through the use of powerful questions. Now, sometimes that happens in the one-on-one -on -one interactions in a consulting relationship. At other times, it may happen as the facilitator. In both scenarios, the, the goal is to allow the leader to come to their own conclusion through the use of powerful questions as opposed to me telling them the answer, allowing them to provide the answer on their own. Tell me about how, how like the types of questions, how you get these leaders to recognize that they have biases and, 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 and helping to change their, their thought process. Well, that's a good question, uh, Peter. I can tell you that my original background in, in business was through technology. I spent almost 20 years as an information technology professional before moving into coaching and facilitation and leadership development. And interestingly, a lot of my technology career was spent working with executives. So I have a, a mindset about technology and how business moves at the speed of technology, but also uh, how executives are looking at things. And so with several of my clients, I have had the opportunity to not only approach them and challenge their thinking, existing thinking about their business, 
about from a technology perspective, but also from a leadership perspective. How should senior leaders and executives be looking at these items? So for example, it's not unoften that I run into a situation where individuals say, this is the way we've always done it. That kills me when I hear that. <laughs> and it's it's a trite statement, but it comes up so often. And it, it's it's almost scary how often people say those exact words. This is the way we've always done it. Or people don't see a need for change. There is a resistance to change. So uh, asking probing questions about the, 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 the issue at hand. I'm thinking of one in, in particular about the way a corporation did something as simple as hold their meetings. They've always held face-to-face meetings. And in this scenario, this, uh, this Fortune 300 corporation in the energy services field, when the energy services took a downturn as a whole, as an industry, the way we've always done it no longer was going to work. So I received an email uh, invitation inviting me to a meeting. And when I looked at the invitation, it wasn't the normal invitation that I have ever received. Uh, this invitation was from the CEO. Okay. And I looked at that again and I thought, is this a mistake? <laughs> so I inquired of my, uh, my manager at the time and he says, no, that's not a mistake. He's asked me about it. He wants to meet with you. And so I reach out, I respond, of course, I'll be there. And uh, he was very kind, Peter. He actually asked me, are you available at such a date and such, such a date and such a time? And I thought, yeah, I could clear off some time on my schedule for that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I show up to the meeting uh, with the CEO and another senior leader, uh, one of his top leaders uh, who ran one of the, the major divisions of the corporation. And he explained to me that he had heard about my work and he was faced with a dilemma. And the dilemma was that there are four major meetings run in a corporation every year called the quarterly business review. Mm-hmm. And he was faced with having to reduce the four major meetings, the four most important meetings of the business down to two because mm-hmm. it was no longer sustainable to keep flying all the executives around the globe uh, for a face-to-face meeting four times a year. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, Peter, but uh, I don't really travel like they travel. So it does get, it does cost a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so uh, I said, yes, I can support you by doing things a little different. We can hold those same important meetings, not face-to-face, but virtually. And of course, when people think virtual, they think, let's hold a WebEx session, right? Right. Right. Uh, I love WebEx. It's a good product, good company. But it has gained a certain... uh, uh, People have a certain bias, as you would say, a certain unconscious bias. Right. So I uh, introduced a new way of running highly facilitated, collaborative executive meetings. And we saved the most important meeting of the business. They would now hold that meeting two times a year face-to-face and then two times a year virtually. And in the end, it was documented that by doing that, Every time I held that meeting virtually for the executive team, the top 30 executives around the globe, I saved the corporation $500,000. Wow. Put another way, we saved a million dollars for the corporation. Put another way, we allowed the business to save jobs 
and to remain sustainable, redirecting those necessary funds to other aspects of the business. And we allow the executives to continue the work of the corporation to the benefit of the shareholders and not have to sacrifice what they needed to accomplish uh, for the benefit of everyone. Can Are you at liberty to share what type of platform you were using in order to uh, facilitate these uh, virtual sessions? Absolutely. So I use the product called Adobe Connect. And so here again was another right. example of uh, doing things a different way, not using what we've always used. And so when you go to the IT department, you say, listen, I want to introduce a new product. All the IT people look at you with a scowl in their face <laughs> and they're just bald. <laughs> <laughs> So here's where my IT background became a, a true asset to me because I could have the conversations with the IT professionals and with the CIO and talk about why I needed this particular product and how I would use it and not put an extra burden on the infrastructure. And so by putting this platform in place, I also was able to brand the channel that I was using to deliver this service. And so I literally branded the WebEx solution as the self-service solution that everyone in the corporation would use. I wasn't going to take that away or change that. I wanted to keep it in existence to do what it was doing. But here's a new product that I wanted to use. I branded the channel as the facilitated collaboration network. And we would hold those meetings on there. And then we would go on to hold other major meetings in the corporation. Uh, ran a, a webinar at lunchtime to grab all the experts across the corporation around the globe to tell their story about things that they were seeing surface as customer concerns, trends in the industry, things that the newer engineers could benefit from. And also, by the way, put that information into our knowledge base so that people can get that later on, be, be able to retrieve it. We called that series Experts Explain. It became a very popular series, mm -hmm. but it was hosted on the facilitated collabor collaboration channel. And so executive programs, uh, uh, the Experts Explain series, the ability to deliver high-quality programming that was interactive, engaging, and yes, collaborative and extremely well designed. And here's where a lot of the work that Bob and I put together really came to place because we branded it as about being the experience. Right. And of course, you know that Bob Dean is one of the, uh, is the only second person in the world to be certified in the experience economy, the work right. of Joe Pine and Jim Gilmore. Yes. And so that factored in heavily to what we did. The design, the layout, everything, it was about what will be the employee experience. Wow, that, that is awesome. And, and as you're describing this to me, brings me to today and the environment the business world is in today and thinking about my audience who primarily are accountants, financial professionals, this disruption of technology as you know, we've been talking about it, but it's now we're seeing effects of it. It's going to really, it's going to shake some things up. And and what are your thoughts on this the shakeup? What what what's what's the skill set that we need to begin to transform from the uh, Excel spreadsheet, the you know the, the the bean counter into what in order for us to maintain our presence in, in the business world. Well, Peter, I believe that everyone, uh, accountants, uh, all of us in, 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 our, in our professional lives need to look and ask ourselves, 
when is the last time my industry innovated? And that question needs to be asked because if we, uh, as one gentleman said, aren't ready, we have to get ready. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready because the change is coming. We have to be continuous learners, continue to develop ourselves. I, I, I speak often at universities and I speak at corporations. And the interesting thing is some people never take a class after leaving a university. I know some people who don't even pick up a book after leaving university. Mm-hmm. So we, if we're not continuing to educate ourselves, we're leaving ourselves vulnerable to the disruption that technology will introduce. Look at the largest hotel corporation in the world who owns no buildings, no <laughs> hotel rooms at all. Yeah. Right? Right. Airbnb. Right. Look at the largest uh taxi company, if you will, that doesn't own a single car and doesn't even provide a mobile phone for their employees or their drivers. Uber. Right. Right. I saw a taxi cab yesterday who (laughs) he had a white sticker on his car that said, I've been fingerprinted. Well, he was so proud of that, not because to say he's a safe driver, but because this is one of the things that was forced upon a company like Uber. A lot of organizations have been fighting the, the Ubers and the Airbnbs uh, organizations, uh, meaning the, the the competitors, and in some cases the city councils, uh, to uh, regulate these industries a different way. But really, uh, it's a fear of change and a fear of their business model being disrupted. When in many cases, and, and the previous experience that some folks might have had is. Uh, uh, they're, 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 they hadn't been in a clean cab. They didn't know what a clean cab was like. <laughs> they, they get in a personal vehicle of an Uber. It's a, it's a clean ride. It actually smells nice. And the person says a greeting to you. And, you know, so it was a, it, it was a disruption that that organization never saw. I listened to Michael Dominguez, the, um, uh, one of the senior executives running uh, one of the major chains there in Vegas. And he talks about how he's always scanning the horizon. And he mentioned a very interesting story that I saw in passing, but until he talked about it, I hadn't locked in on this. He asked the question, when is the last time your grocery store innovated? And as we stop and think about it, it was probably the self-service checkout lane that most of us avoid. <laughs> right, right. Well, Amazon, Amazon just purchased Whole Foods. And everybody right. said, why would they buy a grocery store? Well, for one, they paid $13 billion for it. And the next day, it went up to $16 billion. So they had a $3 billion instant profit. <laughs> but they are now experimenting with the fact that if you are an Amazon Prime member, you literally walk in, select your items, and you walk out. Right. I saw they that. have created a technology that is going to disrupt the grocery markets, the supermarkets. I mean, think about that. It's funny that you mentioned that. It's funny that you mentioned that because my local Kroger's here in Westerville, Ohio, I think they believe that they're innovating because they're turning it into one of these larger supermarkets, superstores. Yeah. But as you were describing this, I'm like, they're not innovating. They're just, they just got bigger, but there's nothing, there's really nothing different inside of it technologically. Absolutely. And so when we look at the taxi cab market, when we look at the, uh, the hotel market or the rental market, and we now look at grocery stores, it certainly is high time for all of us to ask ourselves the question, 
am I next? Is my industry next? Well, some of us may feel, well, I'm safe. Uh, computers, technology, it can't do what I do. But I had a conversation with a, a dear friend of mine, uh, president of, uh, she was the president at the time of the National Speakers Association in Pittsburgh. Her name was Sarah Cole. And Sarah is one of the nicest ladies you ever meet, Peter. But in addition to being just a nice woman, she's a pediatrician. And she was telling me how technology is changing her world. She said, you can only look at WebMD to get an example of how people are self-diagnosing themselves <laughs> yeah. and then only come into the physician for a second opinion. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're right. So <laughs> automated intelligence that we see in a rudimentary way through WebMD, it's actually taking over, starting to take over in, uh, in the hospital world. And, 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 and so much so that what they're doing is, in some cases, instead of having multiple physicians on staff, you get multiple nurse practitioners and only one physician to supervise, supervise them, right? So right, there's right. changes coming in that way. But then also someone like her husband, who happens to be an ear, nose, and throat specialist, she said, Eddie, my time is almost up. He's got about five more years. She said, and then the robotics and the, the artificial intelligence will be so good, it's going to disrupt him. She used the example of what happened with the chess player whose name escapes me. But remember the, the big IBM supercomputer, Peter? Yep, yep, yep. That uh, the, the, the Russian chess player was able to defeat. And it was, a, it was just a remarkable thing, right? Right. But when, the, when he switched to artificial intelligence and this computer was able to learn on the fly, he was no longer able to beat that supercomputer. And that's where we're headed. So in every industry that we are a part of, we need to get ready. So we stay ready. So we don't have to get ready. We need to be continuous learners, scanning the horizon and looking to see where we can improve ourselves as individuals and staying ahead of the curve. I, I thoroughly agree with, with everything you've said. And, and I think the biggest challenge for the accounting profession is to realize that Watson is here. Watson, Watson, that's his name, yes. <laughs> you know, Watson, Watson is here. Watson is working now with the big four and the audit practice. Watson is here, as we saw with the H&R Block commercials last year. Watson is that machine learning that is going to take away, I predicted a couple of years ago that Excel at some point in time might become extinct because of artificial intelligence. And you would have thought I dropped an F-bomb in the room. Uh, people were appalled. Oh my like, gosh. Uh, <laughs> perish the thought. Yeah, perish the thought. <laughs> what, what am I going to do? But we moved from, well, I, I can't say that. We've moved from a 10 key to Excel, but I asked accounting audiences, how many of you still have your 10 key? And two thirds of the audience's hands still go up. Which, 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 Isn't that something? Which still, so the, the, to me, they're still latching on to some old technology. But now that things have changed and I don't have to crunch the numbers, I have to communicate the information to the end user. And I think that's where our, one of our biggest challenges arise. You're absolutely right. And I laugh as you talk about the 10 key, Peter, because I was uh, working with a dear millennial friend of mine uh, just this week. And we were working on a composition. We were collaborating. And I said uh, something about uh, in fact, she corrected me. She said, you should put two dashes there after the, 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 the phrase. And I said, well, um, that's actually a, an M dash because a dash is just a dash, but two together become an M dash because it's the length of the letter M. 
And she says, hmm, I never knew that. I said, yeah, because I had to take typing on, on a manual typewriter. <laughs> uh, I won't talk about how old I am. But on the ones that made noise. And if you made a mistake, you had to actually use correction fluid and you threw the carriage wheel all the way over to the left-hand side. So those are little things you were forced to learn in the old typing days. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a flashback just now. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the, this environment has changed and it's changing, you know, pretty dramatically, pretty quickly. And I, I think leadership, and when we talk about leadership, I, I don't know if, you, if you'll agree with me on this comment, leadership has nothing to do with a title. Leadership is the way you have a positive effect on another individual. I agree with that uh, fully, Peter. In fact, uh, we might say that uh, we can summarize that by one word. Influence. Influence. <laughs> Influence, exactly. I'll let you go. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. It's not about uh, the title. And so often we confuse having a certain title with being a leader. But we might all agree that I can be uh, the president. I can be the manager. I can be the director and really be a, a bad leader, right? Right. But... On the other side, I cannot have that title at all. And because of my level of influence in an organization, I can rise to assume those titles. In fact, it might be argued you are a leader before you actually receive those titles and the power and authority that go with it. And what true leaders realize is if they use their influence properly, they would have to point to their title a lot less. I love that. Uh, I, I love that piece. And, and the reason I, I assume you know why the reason I kind of busted out laughing when you said influence is because both of us are members of the National Speakers Association. Our annual convention is titled Influence. So that's influence, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't, you know, I, I've always, I, I've seen the title, but I never kind of equated it in the same way that you just said. And, and I appreciate that. And thank you for that. Because now I have a, a whole different perspective on that word influence. Yes. I, my first influence, I joined in November 2014, joined the organization. And so Influence 15 was my first. And I thought that when I saw that that's the title, what we call the, the uh, conference, and then I realized it was just that year. That's the ongoing series. I thought, well, how cool is that? <laughs> yeah. So, what was your what was your first convention? Influence fifteen, twenty fifteen. What, what, what city was that? That was in Washington D.C. Oh yeah, the yeah. Waterman, I believe. Yes. Right. So I I became a member in thirteen, and my first conference was in Philadelphia, and we hadn't changed the name at that point in time. We were they were they were in discussion process. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I've gone to every, well, I could say I've gone to every one since I've joined, which has only now been three official years, but I missed last year's because when I looked at the schedule, I inadvertently, the way the Apple uh, calendar laid out, I got it wrong, but I couldn't change it because I decided to get married on 7-7-17 and couldn't convince my wife to move it from Cabo, <laughs> Mexico to Disneyland where we were holding influence for <laughs> 17. So. I hope you didn't go through a long conversation <laughs> and try to influence her to change the I, I did try to influence her. Peter, I did. Obviously, I need work on my influencing skills. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You're a smart man. You're a very smart man. But 
I, I, I like that because I think I heard Simon Sinek kind of talk about leadership in that way and where that has nothing to do with the title. It's the way you have an influence over somebody else. And I was going through the D.C. airport. Um, I was going through, through Reagan and it was, it was like 9 o'clock at night and I went into the men's restroom and there was this uh, attendant in there and you could just tell he had a long day. He was looked like he was tired and was just you know, kind of hunched over and cleaning the sinks. And I just went over to him and I said, excuse me, sir, I'd just like to say thank you for, for your hard work. I can tell you had a really tough day and I appreciate all the hard work that you're doing to keep this restroom as clean as it is. And he looked at me and had this smile and then he kind of straightened up his back and kind of pushed out his chest and he said, thank you. Nobody ever talks to me at all. You're the first person to even say thank you at all. And I greatly appreciate it. And I just went, man, it was that that cost me nothing. But wow, gave a that lot. was so nice of you. That was so nice of you. That's outstanding. And what what a humane thing to do as well as being a kind thing to do. Yeah, and, and I, I've taken this to heart because I, when I keep it on my radar, I try to do the same thing no matter where I am to people who I don't even know and just thank them for the hard work that they're doing because what I do understand uh, is right now people in the workforce, they are lacking appreciation from their leaders. We are We are so quick to say, what you've done wrong. And we're so slow to say, thank you. And this also came to mind when I was doing a, a workshop for a Fortune 500 company and we were doing this creativity workshop. And one of the questions was how to increase morale in the office. And we were using, we were using sticky notes. And the CFO handed me his sticky notes, he said, by saying thank you. And I let him go on and reiterate and basically, he said the same thing. We're, we're so quickly to criticize, and we're so slow to say thank you. And he goes, from this point on, I'm going to do a better job of saying thank you for the hard work that you guys have been doing around here and, and versus criticizing. Yeah, that gratitude is clearly an area that leaders manifest. And I certainly would like to uh, uh, concur with you on uh, what you mentioned there, the point about Simon Sinek, and that's something that he talks about, uh, this idea of influencing people and being able to, be, to use gratitude as one way of doing that. I think the very first time that I was taught about influence, in fact, I won't think, I know, was about 2001 when I still worked for General Electric. Uh, there was a whole course on influencing, and that was the first time that that came to my attention, the power of influence. I later would say the best indoctrination I got outside of that course at GE was uh, my opportunity to study at the Harvard Kennedy School under Dr. Ron Heifetz. Ronald Heifetz is one of the preeminent leadership scholars in the world. And his whole concept about the difference between influence and authority and adaptive leadership was something that really impacted me. It's, it's been one of the most transformational uh, aspects of my life. Wow. Um, that's right. I forgot that you went to that small community college just outside of Boston. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, and I think the, the, the other part of, of this leadership is the ability to do what your mother said to you many years ago. You have two ears and one mouth for a reason. We have not become listeners. We have, we have lost the art or the science of listening. And 
we need to get it back because we're missing out on a lot uh, if we don't take the time, park our agendas, and just listen to what the other person says or is trying to say and, and have empathy for them and put ourselves in their shoes to gain a better understanding. I agree with you, Peter. In fact, at, at, at the heart of coaching is the skill of listening. And I say the skill because to your point, it is something that we have lost in so many aspects of our society. And in some ways, um, I'm not sure if it's that our mothers aren't teaching us or it's that mom did teach and we have stopped using that skill, that muscle. And as we don't use that muscle, it's atrophy. So we need to think about what it means to listen. And when I'm teaching, I actually teach a coaching uh, program, a certificate program for the Association of Talent Development. And I, I walk through diff- the four different phases of listening and challenge each person. And we do a little exercise. At which level are you when you're speaking? Oh, I'm sorry, when someone is speaking to you, <laughs> uh, are you really listening? Uh, and in so many areas, if we just were to turn on a, a YouTube and look at uh, our, our local news clip, we see people just shouting at each other, yeah. shouting across each other. And there really isn't the, the, the listening to the words. And as, as a coach, we're concerned about just not the words that are said, but the words that are unsaid. And sometimes the meaning behind what was really said. And then we're talking about looking at a person's body language. We're listening to their tone. We're looking at their facial expressions and bringing that all in. And I don't believe you have to be a coach to really do that. I should be able to look at you and understand if you're in pain. And to your point, turn on my empathy. And I define empathy as I read about in a Greek publication at one point the original uh, Greek language as to how we would uh, perceive that word in English. And that is your pain in my heart. If I can really feel your pain in my heart, I'm not going to just say, okay, have a nice day. I'm actually going to be moved to do something about that to the extent that I can. So listening and empathy, I believe are definitely two qualities of leaders and specifically, I would say, is an emotional intelligence practitioner mm-hmm. of uh, leaders who have a high EQ as opposed to a high IQ. So emotionally intelligent leaders uh, understand and use empathy, and they know how to listen well. I agree. Uh, and I think it's lost. I, I, the, the corporate culture out there, has, I think, is, is part of the reason why we, we, we've forgotten how to listen, that we've forgotten how to empathize. Uh, and it's somewhat become stale, and and it's disappointing uh, because we can we can accomplish so much more just by taking the time to listen and empathize. And, and, and my transformation, what what changed my because I was a terrible listener, Eddie. Um, I don't growing, believe that, Peter. Growing up, I, and even even in a early adulthood, but it wasn't until I I discovered improv. And discovered that the principles of improvisation, which which one of the key features is 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 having respect for the other person and the ability to listen, become a better listener, that makes me work on it every single day. And I've learned so much more by keeping my mouth quiet and listening. Like today, I've learned a lot from you. 
Well, Peter, it's been a mutually beneficial exchange. I've learned a lot from you and looking at your career and looking at uh, just how you conduct yourself and uh, all the things you're accomplishing. So I'm in awe, and especially as a fellow member of the National Speakers Association, the things that you're doing. And uh, congratulations on your upcoming presidency, leading one of our uh, great chapters there in Ohio. I, I'm looking forward to that that challenge. Uh, I've uh, I, I woke up one day. Next thing you know, they said you're the president elect. I went, oh, thank you. What, <laughs> what, what 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 does that mean now? But I I I am looking forward to it. I and I, I will say that by taking that leadership role within that chapter, I didn't realize what it was going to open me up to. And uh, they, uh, NSA has a chapter leader institute where mm-hmm. president-elects go and you're amongst your peers from around the country. All of a sudden, my NSA network has exploded. And the knowledge that I'm getting from my new colleagues around the country, uh, uh, Bob Pekinoski, uh I met him at chapter leadership from Pittsburgh and Bob's a good guy. Yeah, just that network and and, and that information that I'm able to get has just been wonderful. That's fantastic. Yes, the Chapter Leader Institute is quite the organization, quite uh, the opportunity to develop. And I have not had that privilege of going, but everyone who has attended that I have spoken to speak as glowingly of it as you do. And uh, I am so excited for you. Yeah, it's. It, it, I did. I had no expectation, and I walked into this thing and was just completely blown away. Uh, and, and this goes to the kind of the point of leadership, because there are opportunities out in the community to become better leaders, to learn how to become a better leader, and it's by getting involved. It, it's by you know joining the Rotary, joining the National Speakers Association, joining joining the Ohio Society of CPAs. That's why I got a lot of my leadership being on the board and, and, and being chair of the executive board. And we can't do that without putting ourselves out there, becoming vulnerable, getting outside of our comfort zone in order to become better at what we do. And, and I'll kind of wrap my piece of this up is... is we don't, if we take a course in leadership, doesn't make us a leader. We have to practice it every single day and we have to get exposure to a lot of other leaders to help mold our leadership model. I agree. I, uh, like you, I have been trained in leadership and I am a leadership practitioner. In fact, uh, my moniker is the leadership accelerator because of the work I've done with helping leaders to accelerate their performance and drive impact. But in spite of all my leadership studies and uh, training and certificates and certification, uh, this year I am the president of the Association for Talent Development in Houston. Congratulations. And I must tell you, thank you. I must tell you that everything I've ever read in a book is certainly being challenged. And I am, as Professor Heifetz would say, I am reaching the... Uh, uh, the premier uh, portion of my the, the, of my competence is being challenged. The frontier of my competence is being challenged. It's in a new way. It's one of the largest chapters that ATD has. Um, and so we've got about 400 people almost in our chapter. And so to pull all that together with our existing board, it's, it's, it's definitely a growth in a different way because it's different from a corporation, right? And a corporation, 
you know, people have a different motivation for uh, following a structure. <laughs> right. <laughs> when you are running an organization where all volunteers, uh, definitely influencing becomes more important there, Peter. And so I love the fact that uh, we have had, I've benefited from ATD having a meeting once a year from, for all chapter leaders. So everyone on our yeah. board gets to go to uh, DC where we're headquartered and be trained at the national level uh, for your position. So be it you're the vice president of membership, the vice president of programming, you get to meet with your colleagues across the country. So you have a built-in network to support you throughout the year. And so I've benefited from that as being on the board for the last four years in different uh, capacity, at a different capacity. And of course, now culminating with the presidency. So I would concur with you that sometimes we might discount how we can develop as leaders in the local community. But I am clearly seeing that I'm benefiting and also being challenged in a way that I did not anticipate. And so I think that when I am learning in these community roles is uh, as applicable in a corporate role, perhaps even more so, because again, when you're uh, challenged to influence a large group of people with whom you do not have a paycheck that you're giving or vacation time or a benefits package, right? It requires a far more level of leadership uh, from you as an individual. So I would encourage people to definitely take advantage of joining those organizations and assuming leadership uh, as they can. Well said, my friend. Well said, because yeah, when you get a volunteer organization that you're you're trying to lead, there's a different mindset there, and you have to be inspiring, you have to be engaging, you have to be facilitating, you have to have so much energy to keep everybody as equally as jazzed as you are to get them to to get things done and and move and move forward. Uh, as we leave, if somebody wants to contact you, how can they find you? Well, I'm across all the major social media networks. I am Eddie, E-D-D-I-E, Turner, T-U-R-N-E-R. And my website is eddieturnerllc.com. Eddie Turner as in Limited Liability Corporation. So eddieturnerllc.com. Eddie, once again, thank you so very much for spending some time with me. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I'm looking forward to seeing you at Influence 2018. And actually, I might actually be in the Houston area in May. And if that gets confirmed, up, I will let you know. Maybe I can take you out to dinner for spending time with me today on my podcast. Well, Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you for uh, the invitation. I'm excited that I was able to meet with you. And if you come to Houston, it is my obligation to show you good old Southern hospitality. So I won't even hear of you buying dinner. It's on me. We're going to get together, have a good time, and we'll get you some good old Texan cuisine. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to take you up on that. Thank you so very much. Take care, Peter. Thank you. I would like to thank Eddie for sharing his thoughts and perspectives about today's senior leadership challenges with change management and engaging their teams. In episode four, my guest is Dr. John Molidor, who is a professor and community assistant dean at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine and the past president of the National Speakers Association Board of Directors. Thank you for listening and begin the process of changing your mindset and getting out of your comfort zone and develop a new skill set to become a more future-ready professional. Remember, this is a process that requires daily application with a big dose of applied improvisation.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.